Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, Adam? I am uh, I'm a little emotionally spent. <laughs> I don't want to... I mean, to place this episode in a moment of time, we just watched a pretty heavy episode of Star Trek Picard and uh, kind of went through a lot of things. Yeah. And like... Gratefully, I went through all of those things with you, and it's something that I <laughs> told you during the episode, but I really, really feel fortunate to like have, like so many shows are of the format where like, Adam's seen every minute of Star Trek that exists, and Ben hasn't seen a single second, and that's the show, like, new host, old host. Uh-huh. Yeah, fuck anybody that ever does anything like that. <laughs> that's not what I mean at all, I I just mean that like, I am glad that I'm on a show where we're processing the same things in our own personal ways, but like, I think we're both kind of going through the same things yeah. as we do it in a way that I'm glad I don't have to explain why something is significant to you right, right. when we do the show, because I think you get it. Yeah. I mean, I think that a little bit Voyager has been a departure for us because I had seen it and you... You know, I think I'd seen a little bit of it here and there, but hadn't largely. Right. But watching new Star Trek is, I think, probably a very different experience for a longtime Star Trek fan than it is for somebody that is getting into Star Trek for the first time. Absolutely. And like, I get that question sometimes like, hey, I'm interested in starting Star Trek. I know you like it and have like more or less made a professional livelihood out mm-hmm. of how much you like it where should I start? And I never really feel super comfortable answering that question because it's, it's so subjective and dependent on so many other things. Like, I guess I've been just kind of saying strange new worlds to a lot of people. Yeah. Cause it kind of is a modern take on what is classically associated with Star Trek, but I don't know. I, yeah, like <laughs> I feel like I'm rambling also because I am, also torn up after the episode of Star Trek Picard we just recorded about. And uh, I didn't even watch Matlock before that. Like, you you must be really messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've been kind of watching a lot of different things lately. And uh, it's really scrambled our minds. I think that's one of the reasons why I've really seen Voyager as a comfort lately is that it's sort of become what Star Trek The Next Generation was for me when I was younger. Like right. a nice, warm bath of science fiction Yeah, that feels calm and comforting most <laughs> of the time. Yeah. The heavy episodes are pretty few and pretty far between. And uh, yeah. mostly it's just like a pleasure to, <laughs> to watch Star Trek Voyager. It can provide a great deal of pleasure. Yeah, I think this might be one of those episodes of Voyager that uh, intends to disrupt bath time a little mm-hmm. bit with yet another doctor takeover yeah yeah robert ricardo is playing a lot of parts this season i think he really is yeah well why don't we get into it it's a uh, season five episode 24 warhead Reverse course. unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes 
cold opens in the mess hall where uh, tensions are hot between Paris and Neelix. They're arguing about his tab, a tab which has ballooned yeah. in recent weeks. I get this. Paris wants to be a good host. He wants to throw parties. I think he's in that unfortunate position of like being the person to pay for all the party shit. And he's sort of expected the commensurate uh, kickback, you know, like, hey, leave a couple of, of strips of latinum in the bucket on your way out the, the mess hall, guys, if you yeah. liked Monster Movie Night. And I don't blame him as much as I blame the other crew people. Yeah. It's dick moves by them. Yeah. They've really made him into the Barney Gumble of the ship. <laughs> In other words, your credit's no good here. Oh, yeah? Get a step outside. We talked a little bit on a recent episode about whether Neelix has his own bartender's tab so that he can cover stuff for people, and it turns out he does. It seems like he's got that key to the slot machine that kind of opens up the lid and like turns it into <laughs> service mode or whatever. Right. He can do that. Or just the key that opens up the soda machine, you know? Oh, yeah. That's a better comparison for sure. He can have as much soda as he wants. Like the janitor at your elementary school swinging that thing up and be like, hey, man, come over here and pick something out. Did you ever hear or read about that soda machine in Seattle in Capitol Hill? No. There's a mystery soda machine out Hmm. there, and it's like a classic, right? It's like a wood grain model on the sides. Uh Uh-huh. With the big ass buttons. Oh, yeah. And it showed up on a side street out there <laughs> and it is continually refilled. And no one knows who's filling it. No one knows who's <laughs> emptying it, but it's totally there for use. Wow. It's like cool. one of the great Seattle mysteries. And I haven't, look, the mystery may have been solved by now, but I like keeping that mystery alive in mm-hmm. my mind. Mm -hmm. as being unsolved. I like the idea of this thing just living out there, providing. That soda machine is your J.J. Abrams mystery box. You're never going to open it. No, leave it shut. (laughs) That soda machine is the dismembered foot statue in Lost. (laughs) So, because this is first anniversary of dating BLT, Neelix does relent and hooks Paris up with some replicator. I like that you can replicate something right to someone's quarters. It's like the uh, the Uber Eats of the ship. That's a fun detail. And uh, some of this he he gets for himself so that he can carry it into the room because, you know, he's a romantic. I'm continually sad by the Klingon cultural erasure campaign that Paris seems to be on. Like, (laughs) I think we understand over the years that BLT is not a hardcore Klingon culture person. Like, she doesn't totally go for Gach or whatever. But like, there's got to be something she digs of her own culture that she might enjoy to eat on a special occasion, right? Right. Did, did, uh, oh, it's like Beaujolais Nouveau that he replicates. It's not Mm -hmm. blood wine. Yeah. No. That's asshole shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I I decanted it in like a, a double hull decanter, right? <laughs> That's Klingon shit. That's pretty good. Does that not count? <laughs> that counts for nothing? Pretty good, right? <laughs> no good? <laughs> we don't see any of this anniversary 
It's not commented upon again, is it? It is not. Mm. It is not. Instead, the episode baton gets passed over to Captain Harry Kim, who has got the big chair for the night shift. Yeah. And he's been doing this a lot lately. Yeah. Fourth night in a row. He seems fine work and swing as often as he does, and also working in the daytime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Harry Kim is working swing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that he's also working the night shift now. Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. Parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. I lasted 22 minutes. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. Yeah, Paris smashes those drained balls about what a tryhard he is <laughs> in this scene. Your chance to play captain? Yeah. I'm not playing. All the people you crawled over to get to your, your exalted position line is pretty devastating. Yeah, he's tanking up. He's, I mean, he may be taking an entire carafe of coffee to the captain's <laughs> chair. I mean, this is something that Cisco popularized with his soup thermos. Sure. The chair is a great fixture for holding all of your drink vessels. The Defiant had built-in captain's thermoses in a way that I think like Voyager is is supposed to be as tactical a ship in many ways. You know, it's it's a ship of science, but it's like compact. It's like built for the job. It's not one of these big plush luxury liners like the D, but it should have captain's soup, right? We know that there's a compartment next to the captain's chair full of phasers. We've seen Janeway go in there. There might be soup also. How mad would she be at, <laughs> at like a point of, of great need? She's got to get the, at those phasers. The ship's been taken over. Mm. The boarding party's on their way. She goes in. She flips open the lid. And there's like three Yetis full of hot soup in there and coffee. <laughs> Damn <Yeah>. it! <laughs> Fuck! I need a phaser right fucking now, and I'm looking down at beef and broccoli, minestrone, (laughs) and a fucking miso broth. Are you kidding me? How am I going to repel the invaders with fucking broth? I'm going to splash it in their face? Yeah, she takes two thermoses and kind of flails her arms around. (laughs) (laughs) The Janeway maneuver, they would come to call it. Later on, we see this bridge shift, and Kim's tryhardness is really grating on this Helms person who just wants a chill-ass shift. Yeah. Ensign Jenkins is uh, at the con, and she takes great umbrage with Harry's ensign on ensign condescension. Yeah. That is at the core of this, isn't it? It's maybe less that Kim wants an update every 10 minutes. It's that he's also an ensign. So just where exactly does he get off? This episode made me wonder if there's like sort of a secondary rank element to being a senior officer. Like he's an ensign, but he's also a senior bridge officer in a way that she isn't. And I guess that just means like he's the head of the ops department. Like... Right. But they should give him another pip for that, you know? I mean, if we're expecting another pip for Kim, I think we're going to be waiting a long time, is my understanding. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just saying, like, uh, it's... They don't give pips for pimp, Ben. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, uh, yeah, she kind of, you know, hits back at him like, hey, can you like not look over my shoulder every time I push a button? We're on the night shift. Relax. Like, I'll tell you if something comes up that you need to know about. You don't need to check with me what our course and heading are. How about you just listen for the beep? We all know the beep, right? The beep that happens when something unusual takes place. Let's just all listen for that. Report. Hey, and there it is. Uh, <laughs> and it's a distress signal coming from a Class M planet that's pretty close. But they do have to alter course. And they decide to not run it by anybody more senior until they've checked it out. But when they arrive, it seems like it's too late. They, they scan... For life forms. Where are you? Nobody's alive down there to pick up the phone. There's a scene in Star Trek Picard where uh, the captain of the Titan goes to bed and is woken up by a position in space he didn't expect because his room is glowing. Uh-huh. <laughs> that scene really delighted me because the idea of being a captain of a ship, going to bed, and then waking up somewhere unusual <laughs> has got to be... Pretty terrifying, right? Yeah, yeah. The nightmare scenario, basically. Right. Oh, my God. I've left Kim in charge. That lasted 22 minutes. Hopefully we're not on one of his booty calls. If they weren't going to court-martial me for marooning my crew in the Delta Quadrant for years and then choosing not to use the caretaker to get them back, they will court-martial me for this. So they hail the planet? No callback there's no life signs kim and jenkins talk it out he's like well gotta go check this out for myself obviously okay we do it the hard way deck by deck room by room and he gives jenkins the con maybe the first time she's ever gotten it it's within his power yeah you know she gets to experience how heavy lies the crown yeah there's no place for her to put her soup no no that's all taken yeah soup's taken in a corridor, it, it appears Chakotay has been awoken. Yeah. And he's putting on his action jacket, but he's like, hey, why don't you do this away mission? And uh, I'll monitor it from the bridge. Yeah. We don't want Jenkins in charge for too long. He puts one arm in the jacket, stops, and he's like, oh, I think I'll stay comfortable. <laughs> Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully, because I'm only going to say this once. So Chakotay sends Kim and the doctor down. Yeah, and like one random crew person. And they beam down to a vintage like season one and a half TNG set. I was delighted by how close the psych was to the Star Trek caves. This feels like that aforementioned bath that we've just lowered ourselves <laughs> yeah. into. This is great. I love a bath. It's my favorite way of relaxing. The sky might as well just be like the sky from Anybody Canyon lit with a red light instead of a purple light. Hey, what do you say we start selling Echo Papa 607s? You know, <laughs> it's for old time's sake. Yeah. Uh, they find what the distress signal was coming from, and it's wedged into a rock. It's got bioneural circuitry, Adam. Just like the Voyager. We know what those root words are and what they mean. <laughs> bio meaning bio and neural meaning brain. Right. The doctor can translate what this thing is beeping and everyone is surprised to find out that this is scared. Yeah. 
It's just like that scene at the end of Starship Troopers. He puts <laughs> his hand on it. Yeah. And he turns to the group and he says, it's afraid. They all cheer. The horror of why it's afraid goes nearly uninterrogated because the missile's beeping. And I'm going to translate what the beeps are. Okay. <laughs> Where are my arms and legs? <laughs> I'm in so much pain. <laughs> Somebody just kill me. The pain is too great. <laughs> It's really like the Ripley on the gurney yeah. at the end of uh, Alien 4. Yeah. It's an artificial Itali- intelligence that doesn't seem to realize it's artificial. Like they Were you about to say artificial Italian? <laughs> it's an artificial Italian. It doesn't realize. I leave it alone. Hey, a summer times of the sauce out of the can is a good way to get a dinner on the table. <laughs> Tomato not in season all year round. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's a good thing the doctor's there, right? Because he yeah. speaks missile. Yeah, he tells he, them, you know, what's going on. And he, like, walks away with Harry so that he can kind of, in hushed tones, say, like, I don't want to tell it that it's like a hunk of metal wedged into a rock because that might really upset it. But we got to get this thing back up to the ship. I mean, Harry does not speak missile, at least this kind of missile. He speaks a different kind of missile language. <laughs> but he does not want to help. He sees a yeah. missile in a rock, and the doctor sees, this is like a seeing eye poster. Like, they're seeing something totally different. Yeah, Harry's like, this may be me being tired because I've been on swing, but I don't <laughs> want that thing coming up, <laughs> getting in my way. He should have listened to his first instinct here. And I don't think enough is made of that in this episode. Yeah. His instincts were right. First thought, good thought. Yeah. So the, you know, the day shift comes aboard the bridge and they kind of make light of what a tryhard Harry Kim is. Like the captain asks Chakotay, like, how, how's it going? And he predicts that Harry Kim's next phone call will be coming through right when it is. I found Harry's snacks. It looks like he's been eating a lot of trail mix, except all of the M&Ms have been eaten out. (laughs) Kind of defeats the purpose, Harry. And what's this? A bowl of cut pineapple. (laughs) What a strange thing to pair with trail mix. Kind of a lot of dried pineapple in the trail mix, now that you mention it. (laughs) And pineapple juice? What's going on with all the pineapple? I see there's a hot thermos of Thai pineapple soup. (laughs) What an interesting flavor combination. (laughs) What is all this for? I'm starting to detect a theme. (laughs) (laughs) So the doctor and Harry, like, you know, give their pitches for what to do. And it's kind of left to Harry, like, you know. So we we heard what the doctor has to say. What do you think? And he's like, okay, we should be like super safe about this. Like level 10 force fields in an engineering bay, well away from anything sensitive. (laughs) But let's beam it up and like see what it is. The next fucking shot is of it like three feet away from the warp core. (laughs) They ignored Harry again. Yeah. Harry had the right idea both times. This can't feel good if you're Harry Kim. Oh, it's so close to the warp core. Very upsetting. BLT describes 
to the engineering crew and to us that this missile is suffering from kind of an amnesia. Yeah. And the doctor says that there was a companion torpedo that seems to be missing that this missile is crying out for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These missiles were using the buddy system. So Mm -hmm. the captain's going to go off and uh, look into that. And the doctor drops the force field and uh, goes into break the news to this device that it is, in fact, a device. No, there's no mistake. This really goes like every droid and Jedi conversation we've ever seen on Star Wars with the beeping and the person talking to yeah. and understanding. <laughs> this is the most Star Warsy episode of Star Trek yet. It's very Star Warsy. If Harry Kim were in the room, I think he'd be hurt by the way the doctor's describing the situation. He's like, look... You're just a personality built around a hardened projectile made for penetration and destruction. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to break it to you. My hardware is state of the art. We already have one of those. Yeah, I think he was in the room, but he's off camera for most of it. But then the camera kind of pans past the warp core into a corner at the end. And Harry Kim is standing there and he breaks a pencil. <laughs> yeah. Over in the ass lab, they pull up some uh, visuals of the surface of the planet where this missile's buddy landed. And uh, the buddy did not embed itself in a rock and fail to go fissile. It went off. And uh, this is like the first time the Voyager crew have realized what this very obviously a missile actually was. (laughs) With enough centuries of time. Do you just kind of forget that missiles used to have a common shape and in the 24th or 25th century, like a missile could look like anything? They look like coffins to me. <laughs> if it if it looks like a missile, but it doesn't talk like a missile, maybe it's still a missile <laughs> is the conclusion they've arrived at. Yeah. It's a weapon of mass destruction and this presents a weird moral dilemma like we have a bomb that doesn't seem to know it's a bomb but does seem to be sentient so like by many ways of looking at this it has rights but also it's like putting us in danger by its very presence and what the fuck do we do about that yeah like how good is a right if the right just makes everyone feel fearful and in danger all the time Hmm. really makes you wonder it's a great question I mean, I don't think that that necessarily applies in this case because this is a weapon. Right. But, um, you know, in other cases, I could see that being a valid point, Adam. This needs to be adjudicated in the conference room. So there's a McLaughlin group with Janeway, the doctor, BLT, Kim, Chakotay, and Seven, and they're arguing about what to do. Yeah. Never was the McLaughlin group more high-minded than in a debate about what to do about weapons. Right. (laughs) Can they diffuse it while preserving its personality? Yeah. And Seven's like, no, let's just beam it off at of the port bow and blow it to bits. That way we can preserve ourselves. And taking up the argument from the opposite side is the doctor going like, let's give it back to its people after we diffuse it. Like, I'm yeah. sure they have great respect for the mind of, aboard this thing that is designed to go blow itself up. How much thought do you think went into the construction of this missile in making it look like 
just a plain ass neutral missile looking device instead of like, I guess the question put another way is like, it's sort of the ugly baby question. Like if this missile looks ferocious and is covered with sharp things and like <laughs> looks like something that is made to kill, do you think this conversation goes differently versus if it's like just a smooth, plain sphere that talks to the doctor, you know? Right. Yeah. It feels like it's sort of a cross between like a nacelle from like a D-list Starfleet vessel yeah. and like the bombs from Broken Arrow. Yeah. It doesn't feel like intrinsically scary the way the Shrike was designed or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I felt the same way. You know, they're going through this weird moral dilemma and decide that maybe they'll try and get the intelligence out of the bomb casing and then they can just get rid of the part that they don't like. So uh, it's uh, it's surgery on a torpedo time, Adam. We love this in Star Trek. Love it. Love it every time. I love that they get two security people to kind of hand carry this thing yeah. to six bay for the procedure. Those guys looked so humiliated in the turbo lift scene where the doctor is talking to it and not them. Yeah. <laughs> Very unkind. <laughs> Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Get do it. Do it. Get do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Get do it. Do it. Get do it. BLT begins the transfer in six bay, and the missile kind of wants to watch the surgery as it happens. Yeah. And Kim is describing everything happening below the sheet, as yeah. it were. Kim's the play-by-play man, mm-hmm. and the surgery does not go well, Enterprise. The, the missile does not like what it's hearing, and at a certain point, it arms itself, and they have, like, very little time to shut it down. It wouldn't surprise me at all if MacGruber was inspired by this scene specifically. <laughs> like, it's going to blow up in 20 seconds, and everyone is springing into action for anything that can defuse it. Vicky, that hairbrush. You got it, MacGruber! The solution that is actually suggested by the captain is hit it with an EMP. But where are we going to find a van? (laughs) And Don Cheadle to operate it. We're so far away from Earth. (laughs) Mr. Neelix, how many replicator credits does it take to replicate a van? I'm thinking something in an Econoline E250 or similar. It's changing van history again. I was wondering if they were going to do something with the doctor's mobile emitter, because he doesn't need to wear it in six bay, but he is wearing it. Yeah, that's really... You can break the episode by calling attention to that. Well, I think it's just that he didn't take it off since he came from engineering with the bomb. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Well, that'll teach him next time. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta drop your keys and your hollow emitter in the little dish by the door. You really do. Otherwise, they're just going to go missing and you're going to feel like an idiot. Yeah. So he tries to reason with the bomb by begging it to disarm itself, but uh, it doesn't comply. Instead, they hit it with the EMP pulse and it's KO'd, but uh, it's not as KO'd as they think initially. Great reveal here. The doctor is upset by what happened, but not for the reasons you may think. I love the framing on Robert Picardo in this because the camera's focused on Harry Kim, who's in the background, and Picardo's in the foreground, Mm -hmm. sort of facing away from camera. Yeah. And his voice shifts down, and he expresses the great umbrage he takes with 
the course of action that they just pursued. He am become villain. Somebody set him up the bomb. He does not put the contact lenses back in of the Jekyll and Hyde episode. (laughs) Fortunately for everyone. (laughs) Ben, I I actually found those contact lenses on a prop auction. No way. And what happened may surprise you. No one bid on them and no one won them. So where are they? Does Christie's or Sotheby's just have them? They just threw them away. No one wanted those things. That's a shame. Yeah, I believe it. (laughs) So yeah, this entity is now in the doctor and fully believes that their attempt to transfer its intelligence into a hollow matrix like the doctor was a thinly veiled ruse and they were actually trying to shut it down and disarm the bomb. And really quickly, this is a hostage situation where it's like radioing its demands up to the bridge. You really learn how much control the doctor has over ship systems. I was surprised at how quickly he was able to sort of lock down that room. But I guess his control is only limited to what happens in the six bay, right? That was sort of the sense I got because he also like needs them to send sensors to him and stuff. Yeah. His position of negotiation, if you want to call it that, is like, I've got these hostages. Give me the information I need. And Janeway has very few options in this gun versus grenade fight. Like, Duck Missile is like, I'm going to blow up the damn ship if you don't give me what I want. And for the moment, Janeway is not willing to play this kind of chicken. But you know she just fucking loves playing ship chicken, right? She loves it. At one point before they get on the radio, she's talking about jettisoning the whole damn section. Yeah. Would that mean like a chunk of the hull would come out and the six bay is in there? Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) I guess you don't have a six bay anymore, but... Yeah. Or a chief engineer or an ops officer. God. Two crew members were killed in the breach. Stand down, red alert. Can you imagine, like, if you could measure sexual virility on a graph, uh-huh. like, what you lose if you jettison Ensign Kim? <laughs> There's not a dry eye on the ship that day, but plenty of other things are dry. <laughs> Dr. Missile wants to fulfill its mission, and it wants Voyager to help. And by the end of this scene, he seems to be getting what he wants. They give him his sensors. They uh, set a course toward where he was trying to go. But there's a kind of dilemma here because like Janeway complies to buy time, but he'll detonate if they don't take him where he wants to go, which kills him and the ship. So like he doesn't complete the mission if he detonates. They're sort of at logger warheads. Yeah, it's really true. Dr. Missile's logic makes sense to Dr. Missile, but not really to anyone else. Yeah, but they have to go by Dr. Missile's logic because Dr. Missile is a missile. So it's ideas time once again. How are we going to figure our way out of this mess? On the bridge, Neelix shows Chakotay something that may come in handy. It's a replicator doodad that he obtained by a merchant a little while back. And it's built a lot like that missile in Six Bay. And Chakotay's like... Well, great, let's find this guy because maybe he might have some answers about what to do about this missile thing. Yeah, he might know who built it or something. Yeah. 
So that's put into effect, and we cut down to Six Bay, where Harry Kim is really beating the shit out of himself for allowing all of this to happen. Like, if they had just ignored the distress call at the beginning, they would not be in this pickle. That bomb would have been safely wedged in that rock on that planet, not bothering anyone. There's something very comfortable about Kim and BLT together in a scene, hashing something out. Like, this is one of the first scenes in the first episodes yeah. that we got of them together trying to puzzle the, their way through a problem. And so, like, while not a direct callback to that scene, I think there's something nice about returning to this pairing yeah. to figure something out. And I like how he's like a little bit more officially a Starfleet than she is, but she has a lot more reps as an officer than he does. Like, she's like, you think you're a shitty CEO? Like the first away mission I went on went way worse than. (laughs) I get to tell you about this time I played soccer in the academy and uh, (laughs) you'll never guess what happened. <laughs> it is something I too feel a great amount of responsibility and shame about. <laughs> Harry comes up with this idea like maybe since this bomb is smart, we can like reason with it. And he suggests, like, why don't we scan your target and like take a look at it and mm-hmm. see if this is something you can really feel great about destroying utterly. Yeah. Yeah, let's take a look at it first before we fuck it up. How about we take a look at it and you tell it what you're going to do before you do it. <laughs> yeah. That'd feel good, right? Yeah. It's like receiving a dick pic to this bomb because <laughs> it gets more excited, not less. Yeah. Thermonuclear dick pic. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the best kind. Dr. Missile has a lot of kind of catchphrases about like the monstrosity of the enemy mm-hmm. and preserving its people and. It really feels like it's got, you know, an axe to grind against the nemesis. It talks a little bit about like yellow cake plutonium fairly <laughs> casually and like some some tubes. Mm, yeah. You know, like we're yeah. just supposed to know how this stuff works. So aluminum tubes just inherently bad. Yeah. Oh, you'd have to like remachine them to make them useful in the application for the thing. So like it would be pointless to import that specific type of tube for this application. Maybe I talked about the tube a little too much. Let's get back to the yellow cake. The yellow cake is the thing. Um, you know, I wish we'd have found weapons of mass destruction. Oh, the guy that you sent to Niger to look into that said it was nothing and... And actually knows what he's talking about. You know, the saddest thing about that was in the congressional commissary. Mm. They took yellow cake off the menu. Yeah. It's only angel food and devil's food after that. Yeah. It's really too bad. Yeah. (laughs) They tried to keep red velvet on the menu for a while, but the Democrats would not purchase it. Right. Kim is not the negotiator that he styles himself as. Like, he tries appealing... To this thing on some sort of emotional level and uses the doctor as a reason to sort of uh, come at this from a couple of angles. Like, look, if talking about your target isn't going to jostle your mind out of this single mindedness, maybe, you know, the potential for yourself could be the other angle. Like, look, the doctor can do whatever he wants and he often does, <laughs> which grosses us out. And what I'm trying to say is that could be you. You know, you get yourself a, a hollow transmitter. You start going to Sandrine's and fucking some hollow people. Like, 
That could be you. Maybe you could take seven of nine on a date. But you're playing war. Yeah. This sucks. Yeah. So this ends with no progress made. Yeah. Dr. Missile throws this back in Harry Kim's face. And uh, up on the bridge, we receive a phone call from Onkwani, the uh, salesman that sold Neelix that replicator doodad. Yeah. Voyager, good to see you again. They beam this guy right into engineering. I really took exception to Neelix offering the information that the ship was more or less under duress. Yeah. I don't think you reveal that to like an unknown person over the phone. Yeah. This is a bad Neelix episode for what happens here and also that he involves himself in the trade yeah. in engineering when they're talking about the terms. Like if the IRS calls Neelix, quote unquote, he's totally like going to the bank and wiring them money, you yeah. know, without considering whether he's actually speaking to the IRS. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Unquani is on a cloaked ship. And uh, he uncloaks and comes over, you know, he wants confirmation that the warhead isn't listening in because uh, he feels like the warhead is is got pretty good intelligence gathering material on board. But he's very interested in it. And he's like, yeah, like, I'm I'm totally happy to take it off your hands. And my only reward is having it. His creature loaf is really interesting to me. He looks a little bit fishy. Yeah, a little bit like those dino people, but definitely distinct. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, great big turtleneck, Yeah, as you often get in characters that, that look fishy. I think that this actor is the same one that played the, the guy that only clicked and beeped in the uh, Jason Alexander episode. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, which was kind of like not dissimilar loaf in many ways. I like that. Yeah, bring him back. Yeah. He kind of goes through the like, curriculum vitae of this missile. It's warp capable. It's self-guiding. It doesn't, you know, it can like dodge and weave between enemy starships. It's got a very long distance range. If it were in the room, he'd be slapping a turd as he <laughs> describes it. <laughs> but yeah, Unquani has a transporter system that will work on this thing. And uh Janeway is a little bit hesitant to give it up because she does not want this weird dude they just met to have a weapon of this great of power without knowing exactly what he plans to do with it. Right. He can have the uh, the tubing and the yellow cake. He just can't have the third thing, the thing yeah. that matters. He can't refine it. <laughs> right. And this guy promises, he's like, look... I'm I'm not going to sell it as a whole missile. I'm going to sell it for parts. I'm going to separate it out. There's more profit that way. And Janeway's, well, like, that's fine. But I'm keeping the energy matrix. And the guy's like, what the fuck? The energy matrix is like the main thing I want to sell. And the alien's finally like, no deal. Yeah. And beams away. He beams away. And then he fucks around and finds out. Because he tries to lock on to that bomb and uh the bomb does not want to be locked upon now doc missile hits some buttons on the missile and that alien ship explodes it blows big blows real big cut to the wide shot on Unquani's ship and 
Voyager keeps screaming toward this target and another idea session breaks out on the bridge. Issue two. This time it's seven of nine. The idea that nanoprobes could be the solution as they are so often in episodes centered around seven of nine. Right. Much in the way that mind melds are often the solution when Tuvok has a large part to play or vision quests have <laughs> are the solution when Chakotay has a large part to play. It's been a long time since we've seen her ram her tubules into something. <laughs> so before uh, we get to see this, though, we, we cut to space where a fleet of these missiles are, are flying together and identify the Voyager and all like warp off together to pursue because they've got to go get their boy. Great little cutscene here. Yeah. Very ominous. And you like really don't know what they're up to in this moment in a way that I really liked. Yeah. Yeah, she really should be concerned about what's behind her instead of what's ahead. I mean, what's ahead is this minefield, yeah. the aforementioned minefield, and with these missiles coming up behind them that they don't know about, at this point, it's it's a question about who they're going to meet first. Yeah. So they have the, a planning meeting. Issue three. And it's Chakotay and Paris and Seven and Neelix talking about how they're going to trick Dr. Missile into thinking that they're getting hit by these mines so that they can get Seven into the room and close enough to the bomb to hit it with the nanoprobes. Is this like the fourth meeting they've had on this episode? Issue <laughs> four. Really feels like a meeting heavy app, huh? It is. I thought it was also interesting that Janeway wasn't in this one. Yeah. She's going to have a big part to play in this plan, but I guess it's all just her bluster, like reporting that they're hitting the minefields. So this is a fun kind of Ocean's Eleven plan, though, like where everyone has a specific job right. that they're best at. Yeah. Uh, Paris is going to be the wheel man. He has to sell the bangers mm-hmm. that they're hitting, even though they're not going to actually be hitting mines. Neelix has to make it look like Seven has suffered plasma burns. Seven has to go in and deliver the nanoprobes. Mm-hmm. Down in Six Bay, Dr. Missile finally gets vulnerable with Kim and BLT. Finally asks for help. Yeah. It's a touching scene with, I think, a lot to teach all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. BLT does not want to help <laughs> initially. And uh, Kim has to cite chapter and verse from the officer's manual on why they should. And it's it's not like the warm and fuzzy Starfleet reason why you would think. It's literally that they need to help so that they can get closer to their captor and uh, get ideas for how, how to get out of captivity. Three minutes of Dr. Missile's memories missing. Got to figure out what's in those three minutes. And once they start digging, they find this was a message to divert to this planet that they found him at. There's a lot of questions in this scene. Like, why would... Dr. Missile's people scuttle this shot. And the more Dr. Missile learns, the more incredulous he becomes. This is insane. Dr. Missile is intentionally designed to be really skeptical of Mm -hmm. reasons not to destroy the target he was set out to destroy. So he is very resistant to this and cannot authenticate the EAM when he breaks his little card out of the plastic case because it's also missing some coding for that. Yeah. 
We can play these games all night, Mr. Hunter, but I don't have the luxury of your presumptions. Kim and BLT, like after a little argument, are permitted to continue their research because at this point, what's the difference, right? Right. They're very much trying to make the case that like maybe this is the reason you hit that planet. Maybe maybe there's more to this. There's more we can find in here. And so they go in, but before there's any resolution on this, the uh, subspace mine ruse uh, commences and bangers start getting dropped on the ship. Kim and BLT make the case that the missile's mission is over. And Dr. Missile's like, nothing is over! (laughs) Nothing! You don't just turn me off! (laughs) Yeah. He's like, I was... uh I always thought a missile is the best weapon. (laughs) (laughs) They drew first rock, not me. (laughs) Troutman is up on the bridge like, I made that missile. I literally manufactured it. Not like I trained it. Like I made it in a factory. (laughs) A banger signals the beginning of this subspace mine plan that we saw earlier. And in a conversation between Janeway and Dr. Missile, He seems to believe what's going on, and more and more bangers get dropped. And as they do, there's a real A-team kind of feeling as as this plan starts to come together from all these different crew people. There's coffee and another good shake, just to be sure. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Like, the bad news that Dr. Missile is getting is that they're going to have to slow down and take a more careful path toward his goal, which, you know, only buys them time and only makes him more vulnerable. So he's pretty pissed about it, but also he can't risk the ship getting taken out by these mines. So what's he going to do? And the person that is capable of plotting a course precise enough to run the trenches (laughs) (laughs) is injured with plasma burns. And, you know, they show, you know, Neelix has turned the light that you wave over a cut from suck to blow. So uh-huh. he's getting her ready to to sell the part of a injured crew person. Tuvok is getting in place to like fuck up the hollow matrix. And they put this into effect. Yeah. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Once Seven's in six bay, she gets up while Dr. Missile's distracted and runs her tubules all up in that missile, and something really shocking happens. <laughs> yeah. She gets injured for real. Yeah. So some pretty bad wharf lightning hits seven. Talk about your all-time backfires. Like, Tuvok can't get the hollow matrix messed up. Spom is outfoxing them all. Yeah. And now... Now is the promise realized of the scene we got before, because no one plays Starship Chicken like Janeway, and she's like, yes, finally, it's my time. I get to fucking gamble with this whole ship. High stakes, baby. This is not a negotiation. Comply, or I will detonate. Go ahead. The 32 other missiles show up, Yeah, and they're like swarming around the ship. How great is this profile shot? So good. Outside the ship of these things, flying in formation. I loved it. Pretty great. And they're they're transmitting to Dr. Missile, confirming, you know, what its mission is. Like, they altered course to, to make sure Dr. Missile was, like, on their way with them. Dr. Missile sounds like a tube that you buy on the, like, at a pharmacy <laughs> for, uh, like, when you blister your dick. 
<laughs> getting too vigorous a dry hand job or something. Yeah, yeah. That's a tough one to like go up for the consult at the pharmacy window. Yeah. On. You know, you go through the, the check stand at a pharmacy, you want to use self-checkout when you're buying Dr. Missile. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you uh, buy a greeting card and like some right. other things so that you're not just buying Dr. Missile. Yeah, but it's like... Also, this is a Rite Aid, so they have thrifty ice cream. And it's like, I'm not leaving without yeah. a cone. Got to have that. So what am I going to do? Go through self-checkout with my doctor missile and then go back through in-person <laughs> checkout so I can get my scoop of <laughs> weird cylindrical ice cream? That's a tough spot. Yeah. You've got weird cylindrical problems at that point, don't you? <laughs> I love this, like... The count is correct, right? Here come the 32 missiles we heard about earlier. Yeah. And the missiles are in communication with Dr. Missile. Yeah. And they're like, you got to you gotta hit your target. We're going to go all hit our targets. It is important that this all happens all at once. And we're already down a man in Dr. Missile's partner that blew up that planet. It's tearing up our hearts that you didn't blew. And when we are apart, we didn't blue too. <laughs> and no matter what we blew, we feel the same, whether or not we blew. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect song. They are telling Dr. Missile one thing while Harry is like finding the confirmation code in the scrambled database to prove the other thing. And there's like a thing where like once they're past a certain threshold, you can't send an abort code to them, which is just great design. God, you see this all the time in war movies, especially that point of no return. Yeah. In future war movies, especially. Why do future scientists program their missiles this way? <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like Dr. Missile and its partner were the, were the two that got it in time and everybody else. Do you think they were eloping? Yeah, yeah. What was there uh, before that impact crater that they showed on screen in the ass lab uh -huh. was like Space Vegas, you know? <laughs> you know, drive through Elvis Chapel for two missiles to get married at. Someone's going to have a problem with that, Ben. <laughs> it's missile and Eve and not missile and missile. <laughs> so... <laughs> The cognitive dissonance is starting to get to Dr. Missile here. Yeah. And it becomes incumbent upon lawyer Harry Kim to make a persuasive argument. What a great scene this was. I have a duty to protect my people, to destroy my target. You've been programmed with intelligence so you can make decisions on your own. Well, it's time to make one. Countless lives are at stake. It was great. Like, I almost forgot that this was a Garrett Wong episode for like the middle act, but the first act and the third act really make the case for this being a great Garrett Wong app. It absolutely is. It's a great scene. And I mean, it might just be because Star Trek Picard's on my mind. It's so present. Mm -hmm. But like this has a better Crimson Tide argument scene than Picard v. Riker in that early season episode of Star Trek Picard season three. Like, yeah, this dialogue really fucking crackles and there's so much meaning behind it. It's great. It's really good. And it's persuasive. When this argument is over, Dr. Missile has made the decision to self-sacrifice to stop a horrible crime from happening. Kim doesn't understand this. Like he hears the doctor and he's like, so 
So you're busting early, like intentionally? (laughs) And that way you don't do what everyone's there to do? And the doc is like, yeah, to prevent a nuclear holocaust. And Harry's like, yeah, I don't think it's worth it. (laughs) I just would never do that. I've never busted early in my life. (laughs) I mean, if you were the doctor, you would know. Yeah. So they beam the bomb out into space. One of the others, like, tractor beams it. Yeah. This is nice. And they all zip off. One missile taking care of another. Yeah, and there was a, when there was only one set of missile tracks in the sand. <laughs> 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 yeah. They go off to warp, and then... That's a little uh, shadow box thing I want in my bathroom. Mm. Just on the counter. <laughs> Uh-huh. I'm sure somebody in the audience could cross-stitch that for you. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> Dr. Missile does what it said it was going to do. It, it takes itself out and in so doing takes out all the others, which were not smart enough to fly in a formation that was sufficiently spread apart that this wouldn't happen. Stupid missiles. <laughs> we're supposed to feel good by this. Yeah. 33 living missiles die. Yeah. In this moment. RSVP missiles. But they would have killed a whole lot more had they succeeded, right? And started a war up. Yeah. The point is, like, the war is over and they were launched on accident. Right. So the button on the episode is a little, a um, couple of little scenes. First, Harry checking in on the dock and there's no love lost between these two. <laughs> I mean, there's a professional respect, right? Yeah. And it's kind of related to that scene BLT and Kim had earlier, right? Like the feeling of responsibility you have when something bad happens. Right. And maybe seeing that as the growth opportunity that it is. Yeah, the doctor had really condescended to Kim when he found out that Kim was leading the away mission Mm -hmm. and now realizes that basically everything he rode for on that away mission caused more trouble and not less. (laughs) And the scene ends with both the doctor and Kim feeling better for this exchange. <laughs> the episode ends with Kim going back up on the night shift with Ensign Jenkins. Turns out uh, word of his exploits have made it around to the lower decks and uh, you might say flooded them. People have been talking about you. Oh? Yeah, I mean, hard not to see this as flirtation by Ensign Jenkins, right? She's more than happy to gas Ensign Kim up a little bit here. Yeah. I mean, I hope I'm not wrong. I hope this is not just a coworker being nice and us misinterpreting it, but it sure feels like flirtation. I mean, he doesn't do anything about it in the moment, which is, I think, what's most important. He's on the clock. Yeah. They end with a a little punchline, and uh, we are out of episode 24 Season five, Adam. Did you like this episode? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like Fred. And I don't like you. This just felt like a perfect little science fiction construction project (laughs) taking place on an episode of Star Trek Voyager, right? It really did. I mean, beginning to end, it was characters acting like you'd expect them to, like according to their strengths, to solve a problem, a problem that is a, an especially science fiction-y problem, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. 
you could fucking see this on the whiteboard, right? Episode 24, living missile, question mark. <laughs> Episode 25, like something else. Just these descriptions of episodes, like where you know all you need to know about how the episode's going to play by those two words. I mean, you do, but also like they did that episode early on where there was like a Cardassian missile that BLT had reprogrammed in her own voice. Right. It took such a different direction from this. Like a lot of similar themes, like the missile that like nothing you try can, Mm -hmm. can disarm it, can persuade it not to do the thing it thinks it's supposed to do. Was that Juggernaut? I think Juggernaut was the name of that episode. Something's gone wrong with your programming, Dreadnought. I respect the game of a series going back to basically the exact same well and extracting two different stories out of it. Totally. I mean, it's like a, you know, an early Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where you're like, didn't they just do this in Seinfeld? And then you rewatch the Seinfeld episode and you're like, well, it's the same joke premise, but all the punchlines are different. So I'm not that mad about it. Yeah, but this is like hard R. (laughs) <laughs> as a version. So, yeah. You get to see Susie's tits and Jeff's dick. <laughs> Fuck you, Larry. I can see you looking at my tits. <laughs> and Jeff just nods sagely mm-hmm. into his clasped hands. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, this is a, a very fun episode. I really agree with you, Adam. It's just nice. Yeah. It's nice as an episode. You know what else is fun? Priority one inbox messages, and I think we should head there and look at them right now. Look at how stuffed this priority one inbox is. Nice to see. It is nice to see. Thanks to everyone who's gotten one. Yeah. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. It goes like this. Hey, Adam and Ben. We are two longtime FODs showing appreciation by business expensing an ad for our own business. That's how you do it. Hell yeah. Expense it. It's our sci-fi webcomic, Cassiopeia Quinn. It's about the sometimes sexy, sometimes cute, often heartfelt space adventures of Cassiopeia and her friends and frenemies. It features captains, aliens, reaching for the stars, and has hundreds of pages that you can read for free at CassiopeiaQuinn.com. It's been a real labor of love working on it, and we hope fellow pod viewers like it too. Damn. Well, if that sounds good to you, please take a look at the webcomic at CassiopeiaQuinn.com. That's C-A-S-S-I-O. P-E-I-A-Q-U-I-N-N dot com. I think these two FODs have done the crucial point correct, and that is your main character needs a great name. Yeah. And Cassiopeia Quinn is a great name. It's a tremendous name. I love this art style. Cassiopeia Quinn is very fun to look at. When I meet a Cassie, is Cassie short for Cassiopeia? I think sometimes Cassie is short for Cassiopeia. I like that. I uh, actually knew a guy in Seattle with a daughter named Cassiopeia. Great name. One of the authors of Cassiopeia Quinn is listed as pseudonym. Hmm. <laughs> also a good name. Yeah. Like Alan Smithy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think folks will enjoy this webcomic if they 
enjoy our work and sometimes sexy, sometimes cute things. And who doesn't? Yeah. Ben, our next priority one message comes from Mom, Dad, Honor, and Margot. It is to Dr. Dr. Hare. Whoa. And the request is to read this in Kern voice. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing about Kern voice. If you're going to pimp Kern, you better write it in Kern voice. Let's see if Mom, Dad, Honor, and Margaret are able to pull this off. Okay. Congrats on earning your MD and PhD. Wow. While our logic's uncertain, where he who is our son and brother is concerned, our theory presupposes you're more soothing at bedside than the EMH. <laughs> Less speciesist than Pulaski. Less attracted to candles than Crusher. And less <laughs> creepy than Bashir. <laughs> Eternal thanks for introducing us to this hilarious bard. Really damning with faint praise with the comparisons to Crusher and Bashir. Agreed, yeah. And, and like less species that's than Pulaski? This is all da- faint praise. What yeah. the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Hare has been working real hard on these uh, dual advanced degrees, and their family treats them like this? I like the, the Deber... I like the Derbo Doctors. <laughs> I like the double doctorate going on here. This is a yeah. this is a Klingon diploma, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe that's why it was current voice. You know, you get two of them wrapped up and uh, the little ribbons mm-hmm, around mm-hmm. them. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. It's like two Christmas presents. <laughs> Adam, our final P one is from Gimber. It's to Ben and Adam. Goes like this. Thanks for all of the laughs, guys. Listeners since TGG S1E1 and have enjoyed every minute. Wish I could have supported earlier, but better late than never. Keep up the great pod. Thanks a ton, Gimber. Thank you, Gimber. We really appreciate the support. And if you would like to support or get the word out about a thing that is either sexy or cute or maybe both, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and get a P1 today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I think I'm going to give it to Dr. Missile, because if I did get frustrated with this episode, it was at the point where Dr. Missile was like, I don't want to, like, even check my logic. You know, like, I understand that people like that surround us to an extent that is staggering and horrifying but like checking your own thinking for flaws and checking your own beliefs against reality and abandoning them if they uh, don't comport with that that shit's important and it's fucking drunk shimoda nonsense not to do that so boy you're really right and it made me think about like any civilization with technology sufficient to create a missile that can think for itself you sure as hell hope can create a missile smart enough to double or triple check its mission parameters, right? Right. And you check as it goes. So, I believe in a future where public schools have plenty of funding and the Air Force is only doing a remedial job of educating its missiles. 
All right, double Shimoda for us both, man. <laughs> Dr. Missile, also mine. What's coming up on the next episode? Oh boy, the next episode is the finale of season five and uh, the exciting first of a two-parter. It's season five, episode 25, Equinox, part one. Voyager comes to the aid of the Equinox, another Federation starship also abducted by the caretaker. Whoa. Yeah. They got another one. More caretaker stuff. That'll be interesting. Yeah. We got to find out how we're going to be recording this episode. And one of the ways we could be recording this episode is from the bathtub. Fuck. Don't do it. We're over at gach.biz slash game, where we keep the game of buttholes. The bill of the caretaker. Our runabout is currently on square 25. That naked now square. The only thing we could hit that would modify next week's episode. I'm fucking walking off the job if we get that. (laughs) Don't do it, Ben. You threaten that. I feel like you're not considering the fact that I have an infant child that needs to be fed and clothed. This is the only thing I have. (laughs) You're required to learn as you play. Roll. God, I, I don't want this. Well, maybe we won't get it. We didn't, Adam. I rolled oh. a one. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Whew. We're on square 26. It still dangles over us like the sword of Nudocles. The bathtub of Damocles always hangs over Catherine Janeway. Right? <laughs> yeah. No wonder she's getting so willing to risk the ship in these later seasons. Oh, boy. I am feeling great gambling relief. Of the kind I typically only experience in Vegas. Looking forward to a regular up next week, Adam. Yeah. Feels good, man. And uh, you want to know another great feeling? Hmm. All the support we get from Friends of DeSoto. I'm not just talking about financial support we get at MaximumFun.org slash join. Yeah. Talking about, like, reviews. Yes. People have been really throwing in on the reviews lately in a positive way. And I think we are numerically close to... Another big number. Oh, wow. We're the most and highest reviewed Star Trek podcast out there, which helps. Yeah. If you've got access to an Apple device, you've got access to Apple Podcasts. And if you could take a moment to give us a five-star review over there, that's free and it helps a ton. And we'd really appreciate it. Uh, Another way to get the word out about the show is to post about it on social media using the hashtag greatestgen. We're all over social media, at Greatest Trek, that account run by the car daddy, Bill Tilly, mm-hmm. who uh, we really appreciate. We got to thank Wendy Pretty, our producer, editor, who keeps this show on the, the rails in a way that has got to be challenging for her, given what goofballs we've been lately. Yeah. What long-ass episodes we've been sending her to edit. Yeah. Sorry, Wendy. She turns him back around, making us sound funny and good. Yeah. I don't know how she does it. (laughs) We got to thank Adam Ragusea, our buddy who makes the original theme music for this show and all our shows. Encourage you to check his stuff out over on YouTube. He has a great cooking show and a podcast, The Adam Ragusea Show. Shows to live by. Really smart and uh, good stuff. And often peppers in a little reference to Star Trek or even this show in what he does. Yeah. How good does he look in a Greatest Gen shirt? Uh, So jealous. Better than I do. (laughs) That's for sure. 
I need to eat more tilapia. Uh, I'm going to look like that. Mm-hmm. I almost thought you were going to say Talaxian. <laughs> I was like, geez. You know, I'm waiting for that Star Trek Voyager episode when things get uh, yeah. pretty dire. Well, Adam, uh, we can only hope that'll be next week. For now, uh, we're going to leave you and come back with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that we hope is not also abducted by the caretaker. Like, what if we just went to the Delta Quadrant right then and there? Nobody ever heard from us again. Damn. We would not be smart enough to get back. No. We wouldn't have had multiple different experiences that would have gotten us 10,000 light years closer. Who would host the show in our stead? I mean, I think Wendy would do better than we do. How about new? There'd be that moment where our will is read <laughs> to, like, just a couple people. Uh-huh. And uh, this is sort of like the opposite of catching the, the garter at a wedding. Like, no one wants to catch the show. Wendy is sitting there in the audience and hears that she is going to have to host the show solo yeah. from here on out. And then the camera pans down and she's got a pencil in her hand <laughs> and she snaps it. Can't do better than that ending, Ben. <laughs> I'm turning it off. Make it show. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.